This is Leading Lines. I'm Stacy Johnson. In today's episode of the podcast, Dr. Laura Gurton shares how she meets her students where they are with technology, creating learning experiences with commonly used tools in the spaces where she and her students find themselves. Technology is a part of our students' everyday lives, and one thing I love about this interview is how it encourages listeners to harness commonly used technologies and apply them to the learning objectives of a course. Laura is a geoscientist at Penn State University Brandywine, whose primary research focus is the effective integration of innovative technologies to improve student learning in introductory level geoscience courses, particularly to improve student scientific literacy, information literacy, and geospatial skills. Her research projects have included student-generated audio narratives, e-portfolios with Google Earth and ArcGIS story maps, and other technological tools for geoscience research and outreach. Her courses cover earth science topics such as oceanography, climate change, energy, water, and sustainability, and she's an award-winning educator. She's won the George W. Atherton Award for Excellence in Teaching in 2006, Teaching and Learning with Technology Impact Award in 2019, and the President's Award for Excellence in Academic Integration in 2020. In this interview with Sung Jun Han, a Vanderbilt graduate student in philosophy, Laura talks about how her use of technology has evolved over the last 20 years. Listeners will hear examples of how technology has enabled Laura to teach even while aboard ship doing field work and has enabled her students to learn even while they were commuting. Starting with the course objectives and using low bandwidth accessible technologies can unlock so many possibilities for learning. And I'm extremely grateful to be able to share this thought-provoking interview with all of you. My name is Sung Jun Han, and I'm a philosophy PhD student at Vanderbilt University. Today, I have a great opportunity to talk with Dr. Laura Garten, who teaches earth science at Penn State University. For today's podcast, she will talk about her general story about using technology in class, how technology can help teach science to non-science students, and her specific examples, such as Google Earth and narrative assignments. And welcome, and thank you for joining us, Dr. Garten. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to speak about my own journey into science and using educational technology in the classroom. I know, I'm also excited. <laughs> Maybe you can just begin with some like general story about, you know, like you as an instructor. Uh, so can you tell us about a time you wanted to be an educator? So I always appreciate being asked the question, how did I get into education or get into science? Because my own journey, I never saw this as the outcome. So when I was growing up, I was not a fan of science. I didn't like science. I thought it was boring. I thought it was hard and something that I would never do. Partially, I don't think I ever met a scientist growing up. I never saw a female scientist either as someone I could look up to. But I had an amazing chemistry teacher in high school 
uh, Mrs. DeThomas, who I will always thank and appreciate for her enthusiasm and just having a way to be able to teach science that really got me excited about the subject. And so I went to college knowing I wanted to, to major in science, but never thought I'd be an educator either. So <laughs> that's, that's an interesting part of the story too. I didn't like public speaking. I did not like getting up in front of people and sharing things. I didn't have the confidence that I could clearly explain items that people would understand or that anyone would want to listen to what I have to say. And it wasn't until graduate school, I went to University of Miami, the Rosenstiel School for Marine and Atmospheric Science to major in marine geology and geophysics. And for my first four years, I was funding with the I was funded with a teaching assistantship. And so for my first four years, I was a TA in the undergraduate geology program and right away was thrown into teaching labs. And I was a substitute lecturer when faculty were going out of town or going to conferences. So being thrown into that environment uh, made me realize not just that I could do it, but that I actually enjoyed doing it too. And so I would start going to workshops at national geology conferences to learn how to be a better instructor. And I think that really helped along the way too. And at these conferences is where I also got introduced to some of the technology tools that were out there. I think partially it was technology was becoming more available to instructors. Uh, students were getting more access to technology. And so it wasn't until my last year of graduate school Literally, as I'm writing up the dissertation, getting ready to defend and thinking about what's next. And originally, I started graduate school thinking I wanted to do field work. I wanted to be in the laboratory. I just wanted to work with data. But that teaching experience really helped me see that, you know, I actually enjoy sharing science with all audiences, not just with undergraduate students. And so... When I finished graduate school, I applied for, I was just looking for a, a one-year position or a sabbatical replacement somewhere to see if I really could do this full-time. It's one thing doing it as a teaching assistant, but then doing it as a full-time job, balancing the teaching, research, and service responsibilities in a faculty position. Uh, and I really did enjoy it. So I'm thrilled to be at Penn State Brandywine in Pennsylvania and uh, and have been at this particular campus for 20 years now. So apparently I'm, I'm doing something right <laughs> because I continue to enjoy it and I'm still here teaching students. That sounds awesome. Like, I mean, I feel like, I mean, as a grad student, I feel like that motivation is something I'm kind of missing, like, you know, lacking or <laughs> I should say, because like I also teach uh, some classes, but um. Um, I think I think I'm more motivated from like you know genuinely from researching rather than teaching. But in your case, teaching motivated you to um, you know get into the field. So um, I think that's very fascinating. I like well, it. <laughs> and there's always ways. Don't forget, you can incorporate the research and teaching together. So. True. Even though I'm trained as a scientist, as a marine geologist, I also do a lot of pedagogical research. So I'm looking at ways where we can use technology to enhance student learning. Uh, and also in the classroom, one of the things that I have brought together technology and, and having students do research too. So there's a model called CURES, Course-Based Undergraduate Research. And so you can actually have students do research and use technology all at the same time. So you could bring in so many different components. And, and I love that throughout my career, you know, these doors have opened up, I like to say. Either someone has introduced me to a topic or I've heard a, a talk at a conference and, 
And so there's an opportunity. And I always tell my own students, when you see those doors open up, it's up to you to go through them. And sure, it can be intimidating. It, it could be scary, but that's how you learn and how you grow and how you advance. So always keep an eye open and ear open for, for those doors that are opening up and letting you try and experiment. That's what's the important part and can lead you, uh, again, into a journey of, of who knows where. You may think you know where you're going, but <laughs> everything changes and, and it's not bad. It, it can result in some pretty great things. I mean, I, I think you have like, you know, like countless classes that you have taught uh, throughout, throughout your career. But is there any uh, like um, specific class uh, that you want to talk about for our interview in terms of like, you know, using technology and uh, yeah, in terms of using technology? Maybe I could give two quick examples about how my technology use have, has also changed over time. Because in 20 years, uh, certainly there are some technology that's not there anymore. And we've got ones, new ones that are coming out all the time or items that have been released that were never thought to be brought into the classroom, but you can actually use them for teaching. So uh, I'll start with back when I first started teaching, I was actually using Palm Pilots with my students as a data collection tool. So Palm Pilots, when they were first released, was how everyone would keep track of their contacts and their addresses. And so it would be something that would fit in your pocket, but was not used in the field. But I actually worked with an amazing instructional design specialist on my campus. So we have a full-time person that works with faculty in bringing technology into their classrooms. And he helped me design a way where I could take students in the field and I teach introductory level courses for non-science majors, uh, but we have lab ac activities we do. And I like bringing them outside the classroom, just getting them in the surroundings around them to get them more aware of collecting data, making observations of just what environment they're in. And so across the street from my campus, we have a cemetery. And I got permission from the, the owner of the cemetery and brought students there. And for my physical geology class, we were collecting tombstone data. You know, what's the composition? What is the rock? Is it granite? Is it marble? And we had, uh, we were looking at weathering rates. So we could tell when the tombstone was put in the ground by the date of the death. We assumed that that was when the tombstone was carved and put in the ground and, and looked at how different rock types would decay and weather over time. Did it matter if it was under a tree or next to a road, if the weathering rate was different? And so uh, students would go around the field and enter all that data into a Palm Pilot. We'd come back to the classroom, sync all that data, and it would dump into one large Excel sheet. And then students could, from there, work on their own hypotheses that they developed, their own questions that they wanted to answer about what they saw in the cemetery. So it was great because students could each take ownership of the entire project. So they would collect the data, but they would also develop their own individual questions, uh, which also helped uh, significantly reduce any kind of plagiarism or academic integrity issues because each student was investigating their own ideas. Uh, so that was really fun in the beginning because students were like, I never thought of using a Palm Pilot to record data or that you could use a Palm Pilot for science. So, so that's always uh, been a fun one that I look back on. And now Palm Pilot, I don't know how many people even know what that is anymore. <laughs> but, but back then, uh, that, was, that was pretty significant to use that in the field. Now, when I'm uh, working with students in uh, different areas, whether it be outdoors or indoors, now we're using a lot more uh, 
products, for example, from Adobe uh, for them to get hands on. I actually like to do a lot of audio projects with students. That's really been the area I've been focusing and I have funding from the National Science Foundation and looking at how having students develop their own audio narratives that relate to science, how that can actually help them form a connection to science, visualize themselves in science careers. And also, I think it's important with audio because we really need to help our students develop better listening skills. Again, no matter what your major, it's important to listen. And this is one of the skills in my discipline, the geosciences, the workforce is saying students are not graduating from college with good listening skills. They can create a PowerPoint and they can do some other types of skills, but in terms of being able to meet with a client, listen to what that client has to say, take those notes and then process that information and act upon it. They said that's something that students need more time developing. So I really enjoy using audio in different ways in the classrooms and having students create audio narratives, not write science reports, because again, I'm working with non-science majors. So having them write a standard laboratory report with an introduction and methods and results and discussion, they've, they've learned that, but that's not what they're gonna graduate from college and do after my class. I want them to be able to tell stories of geoscience, stories about the earth, because that's how they communicate with their peers, their family members, their employers. I want them to be able to talk about what they're learning and how it matters and why it applies. So combining storytelling techniques with using audio in my classroom is currently where my focus is. And, and it's been a whole lot of fun really thinking about and, and just listening to the stories that students are telling too. That's very interesting because like I haven't taken any like science classes since I was, uh, I mean, maybe I have taken like one class at best, I think in the college level. My general thought, or I, I, can, I should say my prejudice about science class is more about, as you mentioned, it's about learning facts, learning methodology, learning like how to calculate stuff. But what you've explained so far is that sounds more like, honestly, that sounds more like philosophy. Philosophy is, a, is about how to think. It's not only about, you know, learning, you know, some past philosophers' thoughts or their arguments, but it's more about, you know, educating you to become a better, better thinker, let's say. So I think your approach to science uh, really sounds fascinating. Thank you. And, and I actually also uh, spend a whole week during the semester, and I do this very early in the semester, on information literacy. Because as we know, anyone can put anything on the internet, right? Everyone's got a blog or a social media account. And the uh, information search strategies is also something students need more practice on, be better prepared with. I know locally, so my campus of Penn State is located right outside of Philadelphia. And so many Philadelphia K through 12 schools have closed their school libraries. They don't have librarians on staff. So students are not learning about how to search for information. How do you evaluate? How do you know the source is a credible person or not? And so I actually use a librarian with all of my classes. Every single introductory science course I teach, I bring in a librarian for a week and we learn about how do you search the internet? How do you do advanced searches? How do you make sure that the information you're finding is good? Well, who wrote this article? And and my librarian has done an amazing job finding articles online about earthquakes in San Francisco that might have been written by someone that blogs about cats and doesn't have a degree in science. <laughs> and so um, helping students first 
get valid, credible information is so important for them to to be able to go to the next step. But that also involves technology use, right? And helping students be good stewards of um, learning how to search the internet and and be reliable and confident with what they're finding before they then go and act on that in the rest of the class. You, like, briefly uh, touched on that idea, but, like, do you have any um, experience with non-science students for whom uh, using technology was helpful? I think overall it has been incredibly helpful, especially the feedback I've gotten from students for, from a couple different ways. One, uh, when I first started teaching at Penn State Brandywine, we were a commuter campus. We had no on-campus housing, so we were 100% commuter. Students were either driving to campus or they were taking public transit. We have four different uh, bus lines that come to our campus, and some students will spend over an hour on public transit. Uh, Some of them told me even two hours just transferring between different places to get to campus. And so uh, to help all students, I think not just our non-STEM majors, but our STEM majors as well, finding ways that we could create materials, and this is what uh, another reason why audio was so helpful, uh, being able to create materials that students could engage with during their commute. And and still, I have students that will tell me when I put information online in our course management system, they'll actually, as they're driving to campus, hit the button for their phone to then read out the web page to them so that they can get that information and engage with material. Uh, students that were taking buses said back when there were iPods, now everyone's just listening on their iPhones, but uh, yeah, listening to audio recordings that I had made during their commute to help them engage in material. So I think that's been an uh, incredible way to find uh, ways we can create materials that are not bandwidth intensive, uh, that perhaps they can download as well to be able to listen to during their commute period. For me, that's been uh, pretty significant. The other thing that I think is helping my non-science majors is that developing their information search skills, developing their audio communication and listening skills, that's a transferable skill. That's not something that is just for science or just to help people learn science. If you're gonna be a business major, a psychology major, all of these skills are helpful and they can build upon these skills beyond taking introductory level classes in their freshman and sophomore years of college. So uh, so I think being able to bring in these technology skills and helping students develop the skills. Now, in addition to, to learning content, I don't want you to think I'm not teaching them content too. Yes, there is some information they still have to learn about geology and layers of the earth and, and how volcanoes erupt and things like that. But, uh, but all of that is important. Uh, and, and you can put it in a context and an engaging way for them to learn and take ownership of that learning through the use of technology. It might be a follow-up question, sort of. Uh, so was there any um, impressive or interesting feedback from your students about like, you know, using technology in your class? So I would say that the, some of the feedback has been, I never thought you could do this. I never thought you could use this technology in this way with this subject. Uh, now I'm teaching a lot of courses that relate to sustainability or climate change, renewable energy. Uh, these are topics that are popular in the news and in the media right now. And having them learn that 
learn how to use technology to help filter through this flood of information that's coming their way. Students have expressed their appreciation in being able to to develop these skills. They've expressed how they are excited that they feel confident they can now go and use these tools to be able to search for information in a particular topic. Uh, I think another way that I've used technology that students thought was pretty amazing was uh, as I'm a trained oceanographer and I go out to sea periodically. And there was one semester where I had an oceanographic research expedition that originally was not supposed to take place during the school year, but it got postponed until the month of September. And so I was scheduled to be out to sea for three weeks. And so I met with my students the first two weeks of the semester and I said, hi, I'm your instructor. Here we are in our face-to-face class, but now you're gonna have some online learning (laughs) because I'm gonna be on a ship. And um, that was back in 2014 when we didn't have Zoom options from the ship but I was able to post things to websites and we had email access. So everything was asynchronous, but for me to be able to upload photos and short video clips of here I am. And by the way, this was an oceanography class I happened to be teaching that semester. So I am teaching about the ocean from the ocean. What an amazing way to use technology to show students in real time this is what research is like on sea. And here are the tools that I'm using today. And this is the data we're collecting and that they could see who the people were that I was working with. And for to have that technology access. Now, if we fast forward, that was back in 2014. I just returned less than a month ago <laughs> from being out on sea for two months. I was in the South Atlantic Ocean on the ship Joydee's Resolution. Uh, where we now have Zoom capabilities. And I actually connected through Zoom with 50 different classrooms and took them on virtual tours of the ship. And they got to speak to scientists from around the world. It was an international uh, science crew. And so they were able to actually see deep sea material as we were bringing it up from the ocean. This is material that was formed 60 million years ago. And they're some of the first people to be able to see it. I mean, can you imagine the reaction I had from students that were like, wait, that's at the bottom of the ocean. That's what it looks like. And it was through Zoom and through the tech, bringing technology into the classroom that students could be brought along on the journey with us on the ocean and geeking out about science at the same time that we are. So it's, it's great to see technology to continue to evolve and advance and for the accessibility to increase uh, so we can continue to get students excited about science or whatever the subject may be. That's, that's really, really impressive. So I feel like the, uh, the ocean experience, that's like, I mean, typically we think or students think that, you know, learning a class happens through the textbook, uh, which is basically written words. Uh, but what you mentioned, what you described so far, is like, you know, you're basically changing the uh, learning mode. Uh, uh, let's say, like, you know, you're, like, in a sense, overcoming the physical, like, limitation, uh, not only the physical classroom, but also the textbook, and you are basically expanding their learning experience by actually overcoming the physical distance, of, uh, you know, going out of the classroom and teach from somewhere outside the classroom. And this was this was very far outside the classroom. Yes, yes. we were in the middle of the <laughs> South Atlantic Ocean, so nowhere near land. But uh, to be and this technology is only going to be able to increase. And I look forward to that 
uh, increased accessibility. And uh, there was one elementary school that I connected with from the ship, and I was able to actually visit that elementary school. It's not far from where I live afterwards. And the kids think I'm a famous scientist now just because they spoke to me on a ship. You know, So I'm hoping that uh, my colleagues, again, not just in the geosciences, but other disciplines, if you're out in the field or you're away at maybe you're doing some library archive research, if there's ways to connect back to university classrooms or K through 12 classrooms, that that spark of having a live conversation with someone in the field really helps students, I think, identify with, oh, this is a normal person that I'm having a conversation with and it gets them excited and they can see themselves in that person. I think that's a lot of what we're trying to do in the sciences right now is really fight that stereotype and open up the identity of who can be a science, who gets to do science. And thank goodness we've got this technology that's allowing us uh, to have students through the Zoom sessions from the ship actually hear our personalities and not just look at a static photo of, here's a picture of some rocks Yes, geologists will get excited about that, but not non-science majors. But if a non-science major can hear from me, yes, I'm on this ship, but oh, we're, we're actually doing some fun activities. We had an art contest and a paper airplane contest actual, actually for National Paper Airplane Day too. So we have fun. <laughs> I think uh, helping students learn the whole picture of who gets to be a professional in that field and learn a little bit more about our whole identity, that's where technology can give us that access. That's interesting. Like, you know, asynchronous, uh, like recording and synchronous, like Zoom teaching, that must give some very, like, qualitatively different experience to students, like, because the synchronous uh, Zooming, that's basically like, you know, allowing students to interact uh, with actual scientists on, on the ship, while asynchronous video might be still ex exciting, but like, you know, it's uh, in terms of interaction, that must be somewhat different. So and, and it was a, another piece of feedback I got from instructors that I connected with from the ship was that they want to do a follow-up a discussion with the ship. Now the ship does these virtual tours all the time. So unfortunately I'm, I'm still not on the ship, but uh, they said their students, you know, some of them started asking questions at the end of my virtual tours out on the ocean, but now students are feeling more comfortable and confident formulating more sophisticated questions and that they want to talk to scientists now. They actually want a follow-up session so they can ask more questions. And that's so exciting to hear that having that synchronous Zoom with me when I was in the field, now students want more. And I'm hoping teachers will be able to do that and put it into their curriculum uh, so that we can have more of these types of engagements when it's not feasible always, whether it's a scientist on the ocean or on land, right? Getting someone to physically visit your classroom is hard. It's expensive when, you know, in my field, especially we think about what's your carbon footprint. If you're flying just to give a one hour talk to a group of students, that Zoom or, you know, other ways that are synchronous communications, I think is really going to be a great way to advance engagement with our students. So earlier uh, in our conversation, you mentioned about Google Earth, like using Google Earth in the classroom. Like, can you talk more about it? Like, because um, I, I kind of, you know, use Google Earth only for, you know, searching for a restaurant or bar or search <laughs> around to a place. <laughs> 
That is exactly what my students had told me, too. When they saw in the course syllabus that we would be using Google Earth, they're like, well, that's just how I look up where I'm going to go <laughs> from, you know, get directions or to find a store for a particular item. And in in the geosciences especially, we are about temporal and spatial relationships. So we're about how things take place over time and how things take place over a geographic area. And geography, unfortunately, is also one of those subjects that is getting cut from so many K through 12 classrooms in terms of what students are being taught. And I've been noticing over the years, my students have less and less of an understanding of geography and their own place and space in the world. And not that I think students need to memorize every state capital or to be able to identify <laughs> where is Rhode Island on a map versus Colorado versus Wyoming since <laughs> they look the same, but I think it is important when we try to understand what's going on in the world, whether that be politics, whether that be something that's environmental. Like the atmosphere circulates across the entire globe. Water doesn't stop flowing because it reaches the border of a nation or a state. And so to understand processes and to understand interactions, whether they be involve humans or not, uh, students really need to understand spatial relationships and where things are. So I've used Google Earth a couple different ways. Uh, one way is I actually have my students generate a Google Earth portfolio in my classes. So a number of teachers may have uh, students design a portfolio of their learning, kind of a course portfolio of these are examples of my work or these are topics. Uh, I'll actually use a lot of what I'll call current event articles. So some kind of geologic event or um, something that's happened in the marine sciences uh, within the past year, and not only have students, again, use their information literacy skills now, find a good quality article, but also then place that on a Google Earth interface and then uh, summarize that and do a, an analysis of that article. So by the end of the semester, they actually have a geospatially located learning portfolio. Uh, and I think that really helps them see where things are on the planet and, oh, they're having this water issue over here. Oh, but look, here's another nation that's having the same issue with drought or challenges. So uh, so I have found using Google Earth uh, a really fun way to help students zip. Now, everyone likes zipping around the globe and looking for where they live, but I think also understand where they fit in this global picture. I mean, that's something I haven't imagined. Very interesting. Since I'm a non-science student, so this is actually my, my question. I mean, let's say I'm not only a non-science student, but I'm also uh, an instructor and a teaching assistant. So um, I'm also curious about using technology personally in my class. So um, do you think uh, the technology you use in class, uh, that those, not only those things you mentioned, but some other things you know, but you haven't used, something like that, these, that sort of technology might have some role for non-science classes like philosophy or history or literature or anything like, you know, that belongs to the field. So I've had uh, a colleague in the English department actually use Google Earth as well. So, and I don't remember the particular book that his students were reading that semester, but actually had students plot in Google Earth where the narrative took place in the book so that they could actually follow the locations of where the main character was going and actually, un and then zoom in and look around at the environment 
<clears throat> excuse me, for, for where uh, the main character was going. So you can use Google Earth uh, in other classes as well. Uh, another piece of technology, and, and sometimes uh, it can be just as simple as creating a Google form or something to have students respond to questions ahead of time. I don't know if you're familiar with just-in-time teaching, uh, which is a, a technique where before students come to class, if you want them to engage in a particular chapter in a book, you want them to read a chapter or read an article. And, uh, and this actually started in physics, uh, this idea of just-in-time teaching, where they wanted students to do the problem sets before coming to class. And so what you can do is ask students some questions before that are due before they come to class. So maybe it's due the night before. And it might be just three short questions, a multiple choice or short answer questions. And it's one to ensure that students are engaging with the material so they're prepared for when they come to class the next day, but also gives you as an, the instructor a chance to just in time check and make sure students understood the content or maybe there's something you need to go over that was misunderstood by the way that material was presented in the article or in the textbook. And, and I will use this periodically. I used it a lot more in the past, uh, but I think I'm gonna be bringing it back um, even more now, but just doing these kind of checkpoints, if you will, but checking and making sure students are okay, ready to go before they come to class. I know uh, one of my chemistry colleagues uses it also as a, he calls it an entry ticket before coming to chemistry lab, because for safety reasons, it's so important that students understand the safety procedures. And instead of spending the lab time going over it, he actually has recorded videos that students will watch ahead of time. And then he has them do a short quiz. Uh, it's called a quiz, but you know, just a short form, making sure that they're, uh, they understand safety protocols for that lab activity. And they come in and they have you know, a ticket where they have shown that they have completed that so that they're ready to go and they can start the experiment right away. So there's a couple different ways. Um, I see very easily technology Again, the technology skills that our students develop can be transferable, but also our uh, technology methods for instruction can also be transferable across disciplines. That sounds very true. It's a, it's a kind of the last question that I uh, prepared. Uh, so, so what would you want to see from educational technology like five years, 10 years, or even 20 years from now? It's like, you know, is there any technology you want to be you know, existent uh, now for your in you know, a class or your or or do you have any like general thought or expectations about you know using technology in class? So, <laughs> if I had my dream, I'm I'm laughing because there's uh, two things. One, I use a lot of open assessments with my students, and by that I mean I have them answering short answer or essay like questions instead of multiple choice. I'm not a big fan of multiple choice questions, even though those can be automatically graded. So if there was some technology that could grade student essays for me, that would be wonderful. <laughs> um, but, in, but in seriousness, I think what I would love to see for educational technology, I think we still have a long way to go with accessibility. And part of that is not just students having access to the, the hardware. So I know my university and I'm sure several others uh, have a rule in place where they'll tell instructors, well, if, as long as we have the software on a campus commute, 
a campus computer, then it's okay. You can require students to do this particular exercise or use the software because we provide it on a campus computer. Well, I remember back to my early days when my campus was still a commuter campus. That didn't work for students because they were, my students were still living, most of them still at home with mom and dad. So they had family responsibilities. They were working jobs. And so students would come to campus do their classes, but then had other responsibilities outside of the university. So to expect students to stay on campus and use the software it was really, it's really a hardship for some of them. And so I think the having that accessibility, I know there's a big push right now too, saying, well, all students have mobile devices. So let's just make sure everything can be accessed on a mobile device. Well, not all mobile devices are created the same. Not all of them can view the software the same way. Uh, we still cannot expect students to plot in Excel on a mobile device. I mean, that's not a reasonable exercise to expect students to do. So I think as instructors, we still need to be smart about what we're asking students to do and what they have access to. And I still have some students that don't have access from home. I think certainly during um, what's been happening the past two years with the pandemic, we've learned that some of our students were in Starbucks parking lots accessing the free wi the free Wi-Fi and learning from in their automobiles. And if that's not a wake-up call for us as instructors that we need to do better in not only what we're giving them in technology, but what we're expecting for them to do. We can't expect them to sit on a computer 24-7 for all five to seven classes some students take in, in a semester to do all their work. Are there ways where we can enhance accessibility, but maybe use the educational technology more effectively where it doesn't overwhelm our students, where every instructor is using a different tool and it's a different password for every student. I, I just think there's more that we should be doing. And, and I think it's communicating across disciplines is part of that too. Philosophy instructors should be speaking to, to science instructors about what are you doing with your students? Are there ways where we could be using the same tools uh, within our discipline so that the technology is not a barrier to student learning? That's my fear is that we have advanced so rapidly in the past couple of years with our technology and all the new fancy, shiny t toys that are out there for us to play with, but how do we make sure our students don't get lost and that the learning objectives are not lost either? I think that's very important. Like, I mean, I have a similar experience uh, with the the, the, the the case you mentioned, the Starbucks parking lot uh, to use the Starbucks Wi-Fi because um, uh, when I just uh, arrived in Nashville, I, uh, I, I, I lived in Canada, Toronto, um, and I basically didn't know about the city well, the Nashville. I didn't know about Nashville well, so I just tried to like you know have some like nine month rent uh, just to you know see around to find out where is the you know where the best place is for living for the rest four years. So I actually didn't have the internet. Uh, you know, in the it was two thousand nineteen uh, August. Uh, when my first semester here at Vanderbilt began. So I didn't have the internet and I usually, when I wanted to use the internet and I used to go to the library, but suddenly in the next semester, the pandemic happened and everything moved on online, but basically I didn't have the internet connection at my home. So, and the university buildings were all closed. So 
I didn't have any place to go. So I, what I did was basically go to a university building. I couldn't enter, but I can, you know, stand, you know, next to a building and I can, I could catch the Wi-Fi and I, you know, took the class just standing or sitting somewhere near the building. So that actually, um, some howling in my uh, memory. <laughs> so, so you've lived that experience then of not being able to get Wi-Fi. And yes, that happened to a lot of students from my campus, especially ones that lived in Philadelphia um, and even uh, in the suburbs too, where libraries were closed during the pandemic, where people could not get in. And that's where some students were getting access to, to computers and to, to the free Wi-Fi. I think one of the, I'll just mention too, one of the other things we need to do better, and, and I don't think we as faculty can improve on this, but our devices need much more battery strength. Some of the, the programs that we're using just drain the battery, especially students that might have older phones. Uh, they can't use their cell phones as a classroom tool uh, during an entire day because their their battery gets drained and then there, there's not enough outlets to plug in to, to charge. I mean, I know my campus library, uh, the students check out chargers for their cell phones. And bef- between classes, students will go to the library so they can just charge their phone. And you know, some of them are using their own you know, cell phone coverage plans to be able to access. And so I think the the devices is now maybe also a place where uh, I'm hoping people are working on this and doing better. We need much better battery strength and and better access to Wi-Fi, and and maybe if we could get a little more uniform with how we're using technology and, and learn from each other as instructors and so what's being effective and what works well with our students. That's right. So is there any um, last words you want to share with the audience? I think educational technology opens so many doors for our students. It gives incredible access. It can increase their learning and engagement and excitement with the material. One important note, though, for all instructors is to really start with what is your overarching course goal? What are the learning objectives with your course? Never start with the technology itself. Start with what is the course about? What should students be leaving your course with? And then figure out which technology tool is the best one to use. So never start with the technology. Always start with what is supposed to be the outcome of the class. Thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, I want to express my really my gratitude to uh, Dr. Gurton, and I really appreciate your you know like words, your speeches. I genuinely learned a lot. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. That was Laura Gurton and Sungjun Han. One of the things I found most compelling in that interview was the idea that our fieldwork enhances student learning and that technology can help us connect students with field experiences. Both the field experiences in the cemetery and the story she told about taking students to the cemetery across the street from the university, but also when Laura was aboard ship and sharing her fieldwork with students through video, Bringing the reality of fieldwork to students enlivened and improved instruction. And that's actually my experience as well in a totally different field. As a language teacher, international travel and study abroad is often considered indispensable for language learning. But I teach in the lower levels. And even when I teach upper level courses, many of my students won't have the opportunity to travel abroad. 
but there are so many ways technology allows us to connect across geography. Back in 2016, I co-authored a teaching guide on the Vanderbilt CFT website with Vivian Finch about leveraging travel abroad to connect students with authentic learning resources. And based on this interview, I think it might be time to go back and update that guide to include a few more examples of what that might look like. We also have a, a few past episodes of Leading Lines on topics like virtual exchange that continue to explore this idea of technology taking us across time and space. So if you're interested in this topic, if it piqued your interest as it did mine, I'll add those links to additional resources in the show notes for this episode. Leading Lines is produced through the Vanderbilt Center for Teaching and the Jean and Alexander Hurd Libraries. You can find us on Twitter at Leading Lines Pod or on our website, leadinglinespod.com. I'm the editor, producer, and host of this episode, Stacy Johnson. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.